So we had a conversation not too long, but here we are at Porkfest, and I thought it would make sense to essentially continue this conversation and continue to dig a little bit deeper. And you and I just participated in this this really fun process of of soapbox ranting here at Porkfest. And um, your rant in particular caught my attention and I've, I've heard you talk about some of these things before but yeah. you haven't talked about it on the show and it yeah. it opens up a whole range of conversation about the capture of mm. our most important right. institutions right. and and we're I want to start with just talking about the New York Times right. um, you gave uh, an introduction to RFK Jr. Mm-hmm. when he spoke here I guess two days ago now yeah. right yeah yeah I guess two days ago and you, you told a, a you slagged on the New York Times a little bit, and, yeah. the, and the crowd went bananas. Yeah, um, I mean, that's that's red meat, right? Yeah. <laughs> can, yeah. But I, see, I I think your critique is more than red meat. It's it's yeah. a, it's a revelation because I I know I've known you long enough to know yeah. that you used to cherish the New York I, Times. I always have. Yeah, yeah, I always have, and not because of I agreed with the politics, I would, but. I, you said something a couple of days ago that really struck me, and I forget exactly how you put it, but I think you said something like, we used to believe that the game was fair, and then we find out that it's rigged, yeah. something along those lines. So I was this way about the New York Times. I thought it was, as we say, liberal, or left left liberal, sort of a New York progressive thing, but but it, but there's a, a core of of earnest desire to tell the truth and to cover everything because they had a responsibility to America and to the truth. And as long as I look back at the New York Times, you know, yes, they've made mistakes. Yes, they got bamboozled by the you know reporter in the Ukraine and so on. And, and there's been errors along the way. But I always believed that there was a an earnest desire there to to at least reflect the the wholeness of the reality of America as best they could. But on that day, uh, February 27th, it became very different. And, and uh, that was when Michael Barbero, who's the daily host of, of their podcast, which had, I think in those days, even as high as two or three million listeners. Um, but it was that day that, that uh, the, it, was, it was announced, essentially, that you should panic and we should shut down the country for a, a killer virus that's going to kill one in six of your friends. Now, um, we need to understand the implications of the fact that a number of features of this. One, that the New York Times has chosen. Why did the national security state choose the New York Times and Marco Barbaro and Donald G. McNeil, their lead virus reporter, to be the ones to announce this? Now, you could say, well, they didn't choose it. It was just editorial opinion. I don't believe that. Uh, Because that day, they repudiated a hundred years of history. We have always faced pandemics in this country, and we've always understood that public health required one thing above all else, which was public calm. So you can go back and look. What did they say about 2009 H1N1? They said, calm down, it's fine. What did they say about SARS-CoV-1 in 2003? They said, you know, um, these things are self-limiting. It's going to be okay. And they said the same thing about 1968 and 69, the same thing in 1957-58. We'll figure out the therapeutics for that matter. They called out the 1929 parent flu and said, people are going crazy. You need to calm down. This is not consistent with public health. But on that day of February 27th, they chose an alternative route, which was to, they chose to stoke <clears throat> public panic. And I wrote Michael after this. I said, what, who, who are you working for, buddy? Why did you do this? Who came to you? Who got to you? Who came to your office and told you to do this? This is a disaster. You're going to destroy public health in this country with this. And they did. 
They did. The next day, they ran Donald G. McNeil's article called uh, To Take on the Coronavirus, You Have to Go Medieval on It. Um, he advocated sh- shutting down all travel, uh, restrictions between uh, the states, uh, closing down all institutions, and so on. He really did prepare the way for the calamity that we face today. It's fascinating that they use that phrase medieval because it is literally a medieval strategy, hiding in your cave yeah. until yeah. this mysterious thing that we don't know anything about, yeah. the plague. Pre-scientific. Yeah, pre-scientific. Yeah. Um, I also discovered at some point, I, I can't pinpoint it like you have, but um, for my entire career, I've understood that, that most, um, what we used to call mainstream media, was, was hostile to my, to my libertarian values. Sure. Um, but I didn't ever assume that they were essentially on the payroll. And I, I, maybe I shouldn't say that way, but they're, but they're explicit apparatchiks for the biosecurity state now. <laughs> and those talking points came from somewhere. We'll probably never know where. But the orchestration of it, the propaganda uh, preciseness of it, is is something that I think we're still trying to wrap our head around. Like what? Yeah. This how is, deep does this problem? How well, deep is the cancer? You know, uh, those days, February twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth. Those are the same days that Fauci flipped from having been, you know, on the side of this is going to be a severe flu. Uh, we we don't need a vaccination. That's what he said. February tenth. And he, ch- he himself changed his, his mind, uh, not based on the evidence, but based on the new, uh, the new agenda, yeah. really, essentially. And so he, w- he began to front for uh, the national security state himself. And now, um, uh, just to be clear, when I say front for the national security state, that, uh, it's, uh, that's not some, uh, this is not a conspiracy theory, as they say, you know, um, because two weeks later, on March 13th, the... Department of Health and Human Services released on the same day that the emergency declaration was issued a confidential document that had an org chart in it. Who is going to be in charge of the pandemic response? And, and your listeners will be surprised to learn that at the top of the org chart was not the CDC and not NIH. So not Fauci and um, certainly not Redfield, who was heading the CDC at the time. The top of the org chart was the National Security Council. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is why I mean, I, I, I definitely want to talk about uh, RFK Jr. Um, because I have the reason I found his talk fascinating was that he is pulling some pieces into a puzzle that yeah. I've already been filling out quite independently of him. I haven't mm-hmm. read his book. I know you have. Yeah. Um, I hadn't it's sat a down. Trove, you know. I hadn't sat down and listened yeah. to him speak about the biosecurity state and the the collusion between the, the the censors at the FBI and CIA, and and the the, the cover up of, of the real story of, of COVID, um, but I first heard, I, I was suspicious and and trying to figure out because as as late as 2021, it, it still didn't make sense to me. There's something more going on. Why the cover up? Why the the unity of of these extraordinarily authoritarian approaches around the world or around the country, uh, uh, both. Yeah. yeah, but but I was I was thinking more about the United States because I, I understand I could easily understand why China would do what they did, 
Well, of course they would. They're yeah. authoritarians. They yeah. don't care about people. Right. Um, it's all a numbers game with them. And if they right. destroy half their population um, doing this experiment, you expect that's, them to go medieval. Yeah, that's yeah. what <laughs> that's what authoritarians and particularly if, right. if communism is in your name. Yeah. There's a history here yeah. Yeah. where they do that. But I didn't expect it from America. And it wasn't until a conversation that I had with uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Right? He's the one that pointed out to me that this massive expansion in Fauci's power and the weaponization of NIAID within NIH yeah. um, and all of these biosecurity experiments were, were a response to 9-11, perhaps preceding even 9-11. These were plans that they had before that. Yeah. And then things started to make sense and you start peeling back the onion and you realize yeah. this is a wild national security experiment that reminds me of it, it always reminds me of stranger things i don't know if you've seen the the, yeah. s- the series yeah i've not uh, so not since and, and i i saw it in the before times as they say yeah i've not seen it backwards everything by the way looks differently yeah. to me you know songs are different yeah um symphonies sound different uh, tv shows of the past look different movies that i that i've seen i watch again i i see ev- now everything through through this coup d'etat, essentially, yeah. that happened on 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 March 13th, 2020. Yeah. If you're watching this show, you're probably wondering, is there a way I can support liberty and improve my life at the same time? Well, there is. Pack Crest Botanicals is a libertarian-owned company that makes botanical CBD products. I started using CBD oil to help me when I'm trying to sleep, and my three annoying cats won't leave me alone. Now I can just ignore them for a solid eight hours and wake up feeling great. Not only are they run by our friends in the Liberty Movement, Pack Crest Botanicals also uses high quality organic ingredients in everything they make. They sell tinctures, edibles, topicals, and botanical vapes. CBD oil can help with pain, insomnia, inflammation, anxiety, stress, arthritis, and more. Use discount code FREETHEPEOPLE to save 25% of your order. And if you select Free the People as your charitable organization at checkout, a portion of your purchase will be donated to us to help fight for freedom. It's, it's worth watching again, and my, my fear is that science fiction almost always is predictive of the future, oh. and, and particularly these dystopian science fictions. But remember the premise, yeah. particularly in the first season, we don't, we don't know how Stranger Things ends, but we know that the national security state were, was doing a wild experiment. I'm just a bit of a, I won't spoil it for people. Well, who you know, it. I didn't remember that. Yeah. So it uh, starts off. They're they're drilling a hole in the middle of the earth because yeah. they want to find this very dangerous weapon to use against the Soviets. Oh. And in the process of experimenting, trying to find a weapon to destroy the bad guys, they right. unleash hell on earth. Yeah. And I'm like this. Just sound, and I, I didn't That's watch amazing. it. In, I didn't watch it until after lockdowns, and I'm like, uh-huh. I've I've seen this story yeah. in real life. Uh, wow, that's amazing. You know, another, uh, and again, I, I'm watching everything all over again. I mean, this was a real turning point in, in my life, and, and really, I would say in, in, in the history of civilization. So everything does look different. I I recently watched for the first time uh, Downton Downton Abbey. And I saw that whole thing in life, the lockdowns. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't think so. I wrote about it. <clears throat> the article went viral, <clears throat> surprisingly. But everything, everything looks uh, different, uh, different to us. I tell you what's a very interesting movie you may or may not have seen called Contagion. Yes. 
Okay. But I haven't seen it S- since. So uh, after lockdowns, I'm looking for things to watch. And so I thought, well, let's watch Contagion. And I watched it, and it was just incredible. I mean, it was COVID. Or or what they said COVID was, you know, complete with the with the blogger with the uh, ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine, yeah. you know, th- that that was making money and off of it, and then the CDC was running around talking on phones, you know, contract tracing everybody, and warning, you you got you got you got in contact with the virus, and the guy's like, oh no, that's very bad, Ugh. and then he crashed, you know, and then I thought, well, you know, it's just uncanny. Are we are we did everybody watch this movie? And so now we're all just doing what the movies <laughs> playing our role that the movie says we're supposed. Well, it turns out some of the people that were involved in the COVID response were in fact responsible for making that movie. Yeah. So that movie itself was a national security state uh, production, establishing yeah. the, the narrative. Yeah. yeah. And so and, and when I don't remember that movie was made, but a long time ago, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But. So the, oh, these at least pla- at least a decade, maybe yeah. maybe even twenty years ago. So I'm not sure how you imagine these uh, these things, uh, Matt. But w- what I'm trying to think about, the way I've l- s- begun to think about it, is you have this this major administrative apparatus, this 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 beast out there that is which we call the state, which you and I have been have been fighting for most of our lives, uh, and I'm imagining that there's a a, a card file. And you can reach into the card file. And this card file has been around for, let's say, a thousand years. <laughs> and in the card file is a series of, of things you can do to panic the public. Oh, no, everybody's stopping believing in transubstantiation. We need to warn everybody that those who are not believing in transubstantiation are going to go to hell. Oh, here's one with the devil. We're going to need to convince everybody the devil's on this. And here's one with witchcraft on it. And here's one with communism on it. And here's one with the Mormons on it and so on. <laughs> you know, you can go through the list. And, uh, at, but one of those cards is infectious disease. Very effective. Yeah. Panic everybody about their own mortality. Lie about uh, about everything. But it's so puzzling, though, Matt, because there's so many pieces that came together. In fact, I knew some friends of mine in the UK that were against lockdowns in the early days, and they changed their minds. They said, "Well, the problem with being against the lockdowns is that you have to believe that there's too many things coming together at once. Bad science." bad PCR tests, uh, death misclassification in the hospital, um, uh, a panicked population suddenly kicking the bucket out of you know fear, uh, ventilators delivered to all the hospitals designed to stop people from you know, breathing outside so that they wouldn't spread COVID and then they, they die. There's just too many, it's all too perfect. Your scenario is too perfect. It, it can't, not all those pieces could possibly fit together in this in this in this grand scheme, and uh, so they uh, so these people decided that they were going to accept the conventional wisdom because they thought you see what I mean that they thought the contrary scenario was was in a sense too too perfect. Yeah. Um, but but in fact, if you did have fifteen years uh, to uh, to to plan what 
look like you know a, a, a major disaster for humanity and then a, a gigantic expansion of the state complete with censorship and a, a takeover of social media and technology and the media and everything you would do all those things and if you had 15 years to do it you would you would practice it you would game it in advance and of course when you look back it turns out that's exactly what they did they've been gaming infectious disease outbreaks for for the better part of 15 20 years you're the one that turned me on to this uh, academic journal article that Fauci co-wrote with one of his colleagues at, I think, NIAID, not just NIH. And there's that, that shocking paragraph at the end of that article, and it's about, it's about the oh. next pandemic. But he lays out this... this uh, vision for humanity. Yeah, this I, w- was, I would say a medieval vision for yeah, humanity. This is August 2020. Yeah. So you have to think about the timing of this. We locked down in March. The whole world's falling apart. We we pretended to let everybody have freedom for a few minutes before the to riot for BLM, and then we had to lock down again. And it was in August that that article came out. That aug that article imagines. First of all, the whole thing is wrong. You know, what it does is it theorizes that the reason for infectious disease is civilization. Yeah, you remember. So I think he says something like 25,000 years ago we started moving around and that, that released terrible pathogens. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, He's apparently unaware of the plague. <laughs> well, and, and in fact, if you look at the article, they're, they're still kvetching about cholera. I'm sorry, we solved cholera by cleaning up the water supply. What are these people talking about? Yeah. So they're, they're crazy people. And at the end, they imagine that they're going to, de- <clears throat> as Fauci and his co-author, who also works for ENI, whatever it is, NIH, um, they imagine the dismantling of cities, the end of, of sporting events, the end of you know large concerts, the end of travel, the end of pet ownership. You know where they can't yeah. stand pets. You know yeah. they think they spread disease. Uh, a dramatic change in our diet, an end to to farming. So it's absolutely creepy. This came out in August of 2020 in a public journal. I think the journal is called Cell. Yeah. So why, you know, and it got almost no attention whatsoever. An important it's, journal. Yeah. Yeah. Signed by Anthony Fauci, laying out his vision of what the future should be. Yeah. No one paid attention. Yeah. It's, it's, it reminded me that the moment that you fly, in one of your articles, you flagged that, that passage, I went back and reread Hayek's Counter-Revolution of Science. Oh. And it reminded me vaguely, I hadn't read it since I was a very young guy, it reminded wow. me of the original conception of socialism, which was a form of radical scientism where you were going to replace the chaos of the market with engineers and technocrats and, and you know the very smartest people. You're gonna give them the this power. This before to, Marx? Yeah. The, the 18... It's pre-Marx, yeah. 18... It's, uh, it's uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Saint-Simon. Saint-Simon. Who was who is credited as the founding father of, of socialism? One of his uh-huh. one of his acolytes used the word long before Marx did, uh-huh. and Marx was highly critical of this because uh, Saint Simon was more utopian. Like yeah. he, he he assumed that we could trust the smartest amongst us, the scientists, uh-huh. to reorganize and redesign society in a rational way. Uh-huh. And Marx along, came along later and said, "No, it's got to—it's got to be violent. We're going to have to kill some people to get this done." Yeah, to get the Hegelian c- yeah. course of history on the right track and all that gibberish, right? But when we when we half jokingly talk about Fauchism, Hayek would have called it scientism and not just this right. this, this elite belief that you could reorganize economic activity, but but science itself needs to be redesigned from the top down, which yeah. is 
utterly, as you and I know, utterly unscientific. Yeah. Do you recommend uh, that we go back and read read Counter Revolution of Science? I think I think it explains everything. Wow. Not not just what happened, okay. but where we're going because yeah. um, socialism is. I, I think socialism is dead, and it's right. being replaced By. with this technocratic authoritarianism. R- right. And it. I mean, the word socialism, except for a few members of Congress, is is a destroyed term. Yeah. 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 Um, but. But the science, um, the faith yeah. in the science, even Rule, this, this science. was, I think this was the Achilles heel for some of our libertarian friends. Yeah, a, a, I agree. A blind faith in science, not appreciating that sciences have been hijacked mm-hmm. by, by the state. Yeah. Have you ever thought about using CBD oil? You haven't? Well, think about it now. Are you thinking about it? Good, because now there's a way to support freedom and improve your life at the same time. Packrest Botanicals is a libertarian-owned company that makes a wide variety of botanical CBD products. I use CBD oil to soothe the sore muscles I get from constantly fighting the man here in Washington, D.C. It's a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. Packrest Botanicals uses high-quality organic ingredients in everything they make. And as libertarians, you won't have to worry about them hurting people or taking their stuff. They sell tinctures, edibles, topicals, and botanical vapes. CBD oil can help with pain, insomnia, inflammation, anxiety, stress, arthritis, and more. Use the discount code FREETHEPEOPLE to save 25% of your order. And if you select Free the People as your charitable organization at checkout, a portion of your purchase will be donated to help us keep fighting for freedom. There's another feature of this that's <clears throat> very interesting. Um, it has to do with the the government capture of of industry. Yeah. So not just science, but industry too, which you know uh, RFK calls corporatism. Of course, that's that's sort of the polite term for 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 fascism. You know, but that itself the has actual a, meaning of fascism. Yeah. It, but that itself has a very long history, tracing all the way back to the 1820s, which yeah. I've, about which I've written a book. But but I had was unaware to the extent to which that this was unfolding, you know, over the last, say, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. And I, I didn't see it. I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. And then suddenly you, you're presented with the full reality. Oh, it turns out the big tech is entirely captured by the national security state. Oh, media is itself just a, a, an organ of opinion for the national security state, you know, and, and that the, the scientific journals and, um, you know, the whole of industry. It's just this creeping statism to the point that, because uh, I, when I was young, you could count on business being in favor of uh, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and free enterprise and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. You can count on that if it's a small business now. More or less, I think. Not always, but sometimes, a lot of Well, times. at least the ones that are left. Because there, there was, of course, a grand centralization. Yeah, of consolidation of industry. Business, yeah. And that, again, this, this is just, it was so brutal. Um, to to declare some businesses unessential, and then the ones that were essential were just the big businesses. They're yep. the ones that thrived and consolidated industry. And you can look at the charts where the labor resources, where's the capital resources. It all just got centralized during lockdowns. And for a long time, I just thought, well, that's this was just a, a mistake, you know. But at this point, I just don't believe that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Let, let's unpack this this word. I, 
I don't like using the word fascism unless I can explain yeah. Yeah, I know. the history of I, it. That's and why I actually prefer corporatism. At least yeah. it's new and fresh. Yeah. yeah. But I, obviously there's this great uh, quote by Orwell that the, the word fascism is now used so often as, as basically a way to call somebody an asshole. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't use the word asshole, but right. that, um, that's what he's saying, that it, it, it has no meaning. But um, obviously in economics, uh, Fascism is is government control of the means of production, mm-hmm. not ownership, but control. Exactly. So your industries remain private, privately owned, but but the control is transferred to elite power structures that that are outside of them, and industry often welcomes this. You know, that's the thing they're going for that. Just the other day, um, Ford took a I don't know eight point six billion dollar loan uh, from from the government to to. To develop, uh, you know, their fleet of electric cars. Okay, so they're pretty levered up company. They've been losing a lot of money. They welcome a bailout of of sorts, and uh, but but in exchange for which, you know, they're going to thrive. But in exchange for which, they have to give up control of the design and manufacture of their own product. They'll they'll be captured, but they won't have to deal with competitors, upstarts with there better technologies go. and better ideas. Yeah. Um, what is your sense? I mean, I'm, I'm, I think the the ultimate example of this kind of collusion between government and business is the uh, production and mandating of certain vaccines. Not the requirement right. was not that you get vaccinated. The requirement was here's the ones that we want you to take. Yeah, they've been trying to develop mRNA technology for the better part of 20 years, and this is their chance to. Unleash it on the population. Now, I had been distracted from the centrality of the pharmaceutical industry in the COVID response because, no, I just didn't see it. A lot of my friends were very aware from the very first time that there was an encouragement of public panic. It's like, oh, I get it. So we just lose up all our liberty. Then they manufacture the antidote and they force us to get it. And the phar- pharma becomes rich. Is that the way, the, what's going on here? Now, if you had told me that in, in, in March or April, I wouldn't have believed you. Now, I have to be clear on this. Like, I knew from the very beginning that you could never have an effective vaccine for this virus. You can, you can effectively va- uh, vaccinate against really stable pathogens like polio um, and uh, uh, smallpox, right? Those work because those aren't constantly mutating. Uh, but there are other, there are other pathogens, uh, pathogens that you have many different changes of clothes, you know, it's like a large wardrobe, you know, evening wear, summer, spring, you know, they're changing all the time. Those you can't manufacture uh, vaccines. They've had a hell of a time with the flu vaccine. It's not really a vaccine. It's a, a kind of therapeutic it's a hit and miss. And that's why most people just don't bother with it. And that's probably right. But I knew there could, there could never be a vaccine. So, but here's what happened to me when they announced the vaccine. I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Uh, we're not going to vaccinate our way out of this pandemic. I knew that for sure. I figured it was just sort of profiteer- profiteering. And also, there was a problem with lockdowns that there was never an end game. You know, we're locked down, f- and then what? It was, it was not clear. Three more weeks. Yeah, just wait two weeks. Just yeah. Easter. Yeah, but there was no way to, to stop it. You yeah. know, there was no way to declare victory or whatever because I think Trump believed he was actually going to stop it from spreading I, I really th- I mean he was very confused but so I thought the vaccine was just the thing that we would pretend to release 
and then finally we can get out of lockdowns, get our freedom back, but that we would reject the vaccine. So the idea that it would be mandated, you know, was 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 beyond belief. But then it just got worse and worse and worse. And so it looks for all the world as if the vaccine companies were involved from the very beginning. Yeah. They had already sequenced the vaccine back in, in January. And um, and they were already manufacturing these things, you know, early on. And it was an attempt to uh, test mRNA uh, platform technology. Then you go down this, this rabbit hole and, <laughs> and start to think, how long has the government been dominating, corrupting, colluding with the, um, the science, the scientific process through Fauci dominating the dollars <laughs> and the development of vaccines, um, which are now explicit partnerships between actual government yeah. entities yeah. and pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, they don't hide it. Yeah, and, right. and then you get, then you start asking questions about everything. Yeah. Um, all of these, these vaccinations that we give infants like, yeah. is that science or right. is that the collusion of right. government and business and right. or just the, the, the coercion of, of the health industrial complex? It's unbelievable. And there are and a lot I of people. Don't, I don't know the answer, I, by the way. Yeah, I, I will tell you, the, I, I think it's funny you and I talking about this because we're, we're both, uh, I would say, very sweet and uh, naive, you know, uh, even though we try not to be. Yeah. It turns out we are. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a, f a quick funny story about this. Um, one day somebody sent me a, a receipt um, into my email box that, that said at the top from Pfizer, and it said, Dear so-and-so, head of uh, the FDA, uh, good talking to you yesterday. Uh, hope your family's well. Hope to get caught up in the summer home this summer. Um, I've wired you $1.3 million. And I read that and I thought, damn it, if this isn't the smoking gun, here we have a vaccine company paying off the regulator to approve the vaccine in exchange for just like hardcore payola. Um, and I was about to go to Twitter and say, I can't believe it. we found the whole answer. But before I did, I decided to check it out with people I've learned, right? There's people a lot smarter than I yeah, am. Yeah. And, I, and I went to other people and I said, is this thing authentic? Because I thought it was fake. They said, well, yeah, it's, it's called the filing fee. The filing fee? <laughs> what? It's an elegant name. <laughs> 1.3 million. How, how much of these filing fees are paying the budget of FDA? And and the person said, uh, it's about half. Yeah. You mean half of the FDA is paid for by the pharmaceutical? Oh, sure. How am I going to prove this? Well, it's on the website. <laughs> so you go to the website and it says half the budget of the FDA is paid for by pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. This this is uh, open graft. Like uh, maybe that's why it's so effective. They yeah. just admit it. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle, twenty four seven. Something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today. Just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org/kol and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. Yeah, it's in the white open. But, <laughs> but by the way, shame, shame on us um, as, as students of economics who <laughs> absolutely understand regulatory capture. We yeah. understand public choice theory. Um, we understand uh, the, the, the political gamesmanship that goes on into um, extending patents on special things. Yeah. And, and we should have seen this inherent corruption in, yeah. in science and health. Yeah. And 
not until it was so radically weaponized where we're like, oh, I'm I'm completely red pilled on this now. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that it's the perfect realm to use to weaponize to destroy human liberty and human rights because there was so much embedded trust of your doctor of pharmaceuticals of these of the FDA yeah. uh, and and trust for, you know on like even you and I who are the most you know, dark cynical people we said oh well if the doctor says take the pill Science, take it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah and it's why they were able to use it so effectively because yeah. there was so much there was so much tr- trust there and there there always has been I think of uh, um, Terry's uh, closer with him than I am but and and I, I won't name lots of names but I think Penchalette is perfectly comfortable defending himself on this mm. I think and he in my mind is gravely wrong yeah. on all of these questions yeah. but I think it comes from his um, sort of renaissance man belief that science we can we can add science yeah, ourselves from all of our problems I well, don't know and you're speaking to a kind of a profound thing that is bugging all of us and I think one of our speakers today is you uh, uh, talked about the, the problem of libertarians the and, 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 and how the libertarians didn't really step up you know when we needed the, uh, them the, the most but um, one of the reasons is that libertarians are you know, just not not suspicious of government enough, actually, it turns yeah. out, you know. Um, I was having a conversation with one of the people, and there are many, who supported the uh, pandemic response uh, early on, who who you'd think was the you know, best libertarian you ever knew, and then suddenly just one day thought it was good. His reasoning was he said that um, Deborah Burks explained that SARS-CoV-2 is different from every other previous virus we've experienced in our lifetimes because it could spread asymptomatically. Yeah? And so that's what made it different, which is to say that you could walk around without, without symptoms, you're feeling fine, and you're still spreading it out to others, which is a f- kind of a form of aggression. So under those conditions... Uh, then we needed to have a different response than we did in 2009, 2003, 68, 69, So we believed it, right? And after that conversation, well, first of all, it's not true. The, the, the uh, latency period of, of SARS-CoV-2 is no different from one or H1N1, or it's, which is to say, yeah, maybe you'll carry it a day or two or something like that without feeling symptoms, and maybe during that period you could pass it on, you know? But it wasn't an unusual latency period for any coronavirus. There was nothing unusual about this. Even if it came from a lab, there was nothing particularly unusual about it. Because even something from a lab has to obey the laws of nature, too, which is one of the reasons we, we, we shouldn't have excess fears of, of, of lab leaks, probably. But that's a, a different subject. But what was interesting about that is the way this very smart person was listening to the blizzard of information where they're dropping leaflets all over the place, each one with a different message. And he just happened to pick up the leaflet that said, uh, this is a silent spreader. Yeah. And that's what makes it different. And so, which reminded me of um, the lie about the weapons of mass destruction, right? So they, they, they finally figure out some, some way to drill into your brain and flip that little switch that makes you finally go, yeah, this time, for this weird reason, liberty doesn't really work, does it? Yeah. And that, that's the other half of my theory, and I mentioned this today, and I got some pushback from one of our fellow ranters. Um, I do think in some ways you can configure the fight as fear versus liberty. And, I think that's right. And yeah. I, I can attribute to the, the values associated with liberty um, courage, a willingness to figure out complex problems that you don't understand, 
Um, but fear, I mean, you, you can point to the most horrific moments in human history that were driven by our fears of, of the other. And the ultimate, yeah. the ultimate fear, perhaps, um, particularly in a fat and happy world where we can expect Uber Eats to deliver food to our front door, oh, God. Um, that the fear of being um, afraid of this invisible thing. Yeah. That's, I'm finally like, I know better, but I'm going to give up all my liberty. Yeah. And I'm going to trust, we're, we're going to break the two rules yeah. that we understand. <laughs> the first rule is um, centralization doesn't lead to knowledge. Knowledge comes from the bottom up and yeah. the process of, of, yeah. of people figuring stuff out. Right. But I thought the one rule, I thought we all agreed on one rule. Power corrupts. Yeah, yeah, right. There's a guy. There's a guy that said that, and we're like, yeah, I, I think, I think that's the libertarian mantra. But during the pandemic, we forgot both rules. It's yeah. So well, we didn't. But I understand. I try to understand uh, what what went wrong with with our side. <clears throat> and then, and then you have the other problem is that a lot a lot of people that didn't speak out early on somehow somehow got attached to their views. They got uh, embedded in that. Committed. What, what do you call that when you've, you've, you've got a confirmation bias or something? So at, at some point, it becomes a religious faith. Yeah. Not to be questioned. No, but as late as November 2020, the Cato Institute uh, re- released a massive uh, study paper called, um, you know, What to Do During Pandemics, in which they celebrated uh, tax-funded pharmaceuticals, masking, uh, social distancing, you know, the, the works. I mean, they and this is the Cato Institute in November. So I, I wrote an article uh, doing a very detailed critique of that paper because I think we need to we need to come to terms with um, the the fallacies uh, and the failures here. So let's uh, let's end with some happy things because we could go down this sad rabbit hole. I, yeah. Two things I want to close out with, um, and and you. And Brownstone have had a big presence here this year. Yeah. So I, uh, well, I've, what I've always found at Porkfest is an, a, a real genuine authenticity, by which I mean not the think tank elite, yeah. but, but people with you know normal jobs and trying to live out their liberty. And it's, a, I hope we understand this after 2020. We understand that 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 libertarianism is not just a parlor game we play because we enjoy it. It really is about real life and it's about human flourishing human thriving and 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 these times civilization is truly at stake and it's the times are long over for treating uh, our body of work as a, a, a pure abstraction that we just play with it's it's serious and we have a huge role here now I started Brownstone to use this COVID experience as a lens through which to understand it every realm of human rights and human liberty um, I think I and I partially what I have going on in my own mind is a little bit of, I would say, penance, because I was kind of like the worst of the techno-utopians, you know, that uh, progress is built into the fabric of the technology in our times and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't. Yeah. I was wrong, Matt. I was really wrong. So I want to make up for that and recognize that we are on the precipice, that liberty is something you have to fight for. The human rights are not obvious, apparently. Look what they did. You know, look what they did to us. Um, they divided the human population repeatedly. Uh, infected, unaffected, masks, unmasked, va- vaccinated, unva- unvaccinated. But this is the government set out to destroy the social order. And uh, uh, it's, it's our job, and it's going to consume the rest of our lives to, to fix this problem and to 
inspire as best we can a revival of the old liberalism you know, yeah. that, that, that Hayek believed in. You, you mentioned sometime this week, um, I love the description of, of Brownstone as, as a platform for intellectual dissidence. Yeah. And it, it brings us full circle to how we started this conversation. Um, we will never, ever trust the New York Times again. Probably stopped trusting it a long time ago. Um, but we have to build alternative institutions, yeah. places that you can at least trust that even if somebody's wrong when they speak, that they're that they're speaking what they believe to be true. Yeah. And that they're that, and that we're allowed to question them That's and right. engage in that that process. That Some sincerity is real science. and 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 integrity. And uh, you and I are are both very much inspired uh, by our our intellectual mentors like like Hayek and Mises. But both of them um, had to be rescued actually out of their their homes and their their natural environment in Vienna uh, during the Great Diaspora. And it was thanks to, you know, London in the case of Hayek, or thanks to Geneva in the case of Mises. But I always thought that was then. We don't need that anymore. Turns out we need that more than ever. Yeah. To be continued. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Pleasure. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video subscribe and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.